Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things, helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the girls at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This episode does not class as personal advice. It is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. People may also hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode 14 of The Numbers Game. I'm Jason, and I'm here with Nick and Marty for another episode. And today, we're going to be talking about what it's like to work with a financial advisor. Marty, what's been happening, mate? How are you? I'm going really well. I always like great advice, and I know we'll be calling on Nick, and uh, that always excites me. Nick, how are you going? I'm well. Look, after last week's episode, I'm in a really good headspace to uh, start talking about money again today. So, yeah, hopefully I'm going to share some things that uh, we share with our clients and you know give people an idea of how a financial advisor can actually help you yeah and don't leave us yet guys because it's actually not as scary as it sounds to work with an advisor and there's plenty of things you'll learn about why you should do it on this week's episode on that note failing to plan is planning to fail why you need an advisor is what i'll be pushing for marty yeah and i'll be talking a little about a bit about commercial properties and why you're your best tenant as a business so nick what have you got for us Goals. It's not about investing, it's about what your goals are, and that's what we're going to cover. Let's play. And my favourite segment, Reading the Play, where we're going to tell you some interesting things that are going on in the world and even draw from some inspiration around books and podcasts. I'm going to kick it off with the first book inspiration one, guys. Currently reading the Netflix book, No Rules Rules. Now, as you can imagine, with a title like that, It's around how Netflix culture and their organization is basically built of having absolutely no rules and letting people, well, I'll call it run wild and go crazy, but there's a reason it doesn't go out of control. Now, this book I found really interesting because the way it's written is they got a professor in from INSEAD, um, I think it's like a university in France, and then the CEO and founder of Netflix is in the book as well. So they co-author the book together. And it talks, he writes it from his point of view about why he did a certain decision. And then she writes from her point of view about how that decision should have made the company fail because it's so backwards and so against the, how every other organization runs. And it just works really, really well. But the part of the book that I wanted to touch on for our listeners out there from both businesses that employ and then employees. So at the very start, when Netflix began, they were basically taking on Blockbuster and all of that. They were mailing out DVDs. And it got to a point where they had 400 employees, but they were running out of money. And the only way they were going to be able to survive was to fire 20% of their employees. Now, that as a business owner and, you know, the person running Netflix um, at the time, I have to get his name later and throw it in the show notes because I've forgotten it. But they had to get rid of 20%. So they went, well, we'll get rid of the 20% worst performers. And even though they had a pretty good performing team, of the 400, they had to fire 80 people. So they let go 80 people and they thought, geez, what is this going to do for the 320 remaining? Like, you know, are we going to lose everything? What ended up happening was a high performance culture was born out of the 320 remaining 
were such high performers that they actually did the work of 400 and beyond. And what they found out that was when there was the 400 people there, those 80 people who were still decent performers, they were actually bringing everyone else down around them because the culture, like the mindset of, oh, well, they're not really doing that much work, so why should I work harder? And even though it might not be the way you're wired, the, the psychology is that if you see your colleagues sitting there kind of not really doing much, are you feeling motivated and inspired to go above and beyond? Probably not. So the 320 remaining at Netflix smashed it. They did more than the work of the 400 and then grew above and beyond. So the lesson from that at the moment so far from that book is a high performance culture, having less people, but having higher performers in your business. If you're in there looking around and going, well, there's a few people kind of, you know, not really doing as much as those other people. Think about how much they're dragging down the team potentially from not being high performers. And I got a little summary here just at the back of Blinkist. So if you don't use Blinkist, it's uh, something that summarizes books for you. But the key message in the book is maximizing talent density, creating a culture of candor, and leading by context rather than control. Netflix has become a fairy tale startup story of the 21st century, an environment that fosters freedom and responsibility among employees and empowers them to make the most creative decisions and perform at the peak of their capabilities. Uh, I love what you're saying there, Andy Meekle from the Meekle Files. Um tried to explain that to me about 20 years ago and he said it's um yes you can train and develop people but he goes if you're setting a high performance culture you know set the systems for high performance and find the absolute best talent out there and fit them in i'm yep. always the internal optimist so having people grow but he goes if you're really starting it from scratch that's what you do and you'll always get three to four times um, performance out of those people yep. in collaboration. Then there's a compounding effect of them bringing things to the table at that higher level, which takes it to another level again. So the 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 leverage off that mm. is absolutely extraordinary. So, I, yeah, I absolutely resonate with that story. Well, we've seen it in our own business. Yeah. Credit to you, Marty. So the, the thing that Marty has done is bring our salespeople into teams and seeing those teams now compete against other each other. It's a healthy competition. Mm. Um, but everyone in those teams is starting to write a little bit more and more business and they're all feeding off each other and they're all dragging each other up. So there's so much to be said for, for, for a high-performance culture. 100%. Um, I'm going to touch on interest rates and are interest rates on the rise? And um, no doubt people have been reading a lot of this in the media, so I thought it was a good time to bring it up and maybe ask you the question, Marty, on what your thoughts are. But initially uh, through COVID, the RBA came out and said that they will not, um, increase the interest rates or the cash rate until until 2024, giving us you know sort of three to three and a half years to to really boost the economy and get things going again. What's happened since then, as most people would know in business, is the economy is booming, and you can can put that down to um, a, a lot of things. My opinion is just all the money is staying in the country and it's not going outside, so. Businesses are flying. People are spending money on on you know renovations and cars and whatnot uh, instead of going overseas. You've got tax savings, so you know people are buying machinery and businesses are going really well. The unemployment rate now. So all of the the worry around COVID and job seeker and job keeper and everyone's going to lose their job. The unemployment rate as of May um, was down back down to five point one, which is where it was around January 2020 before COVID really yep. hit. Wow. So the recovery has been astronomical and it will continue. So what's happening now is you're seeing this subtle change. Um, so the RBA governor, Phil Lowe, um, 
has is just subtly changing his language around interest rates. So um, he's he his his initial wording was. Um, Interest rates will uh, be unlikely to increase until 2024. Um, there was an interview with him just last month, and his comments are more along the lines of rate increases are some way off. So, you know, moving away from that 2024 date, and I know that everyone's thinking oh, it's a low interest rate environment, it's going to be low interest rates for years. Um, what we're seeing now is all of the major bank economists have come out and predicting an interest rate rise prior to 2024. Mm. Um, the most bullish is CBA, and look, CBA are always the most bullish, but they're expecting a rate rise around the end of 2022, um, you know, so 18 months away, yeah. and then three quick rate rises post that first increase, um, getting the rates, you know, maybe up by another 1% pretty quickly. So um, question I'll ask you, Marty, is... Is it time to be fixing your interest rate in? Some of the banks are starting to increase their fixed rates, which generally is a sign that you know, things are going to go up because if anyone does the research, it's the banks. So where do you see that? Yeah, well, particularly the uh, the four-year fixed rates are starting to just creep up. And like you said, Nick, the CBA have come out and they're bullish and saying rates might rise towards the end of 2022. I think you've got to think about it from we have come out of a white-hot market out the back of COVID, property prices through the roof. It's come off a little bit. The first home buyers are now not as prominent in the market because property prices are so high. So we've come to a red-hot market. And I think what Definitely what you, fixed rates, if you can lock in a good three to four year fixed rate, that's your insurance over the next few years. And I think that's really important because if income's not rising and all of a sudden, I know the average loan in Melbourne, in Victoria is like 560 grand. So all of a sudden that's gone up by a hundred over the last 18 months. So you've got to get some insurance somewhere. Otherwise you might be in a position where you've bought at the highest peak of the market, Wages haven't gone up. Yes, we've got a more buoyant economy, but you could get caught on the on on the flip here. So definitely, and you don't have to fix all the all, all the loan, even if you do twenty five percent variable. So you can still depends on your position, obviously. But to put you know pay down debt, but of course have have some insurance at this stage, or even fifty fifty. So at least that way you're protected. But there's definitely a change in the uh, rhetoric from what, what it was probably even a couple of months ago from what I found. Speak to your broker. Speak to your broker. Always talk to your broker. They'll give you the real deal. <laughs> I'm going to talk about um, business owners. You, you technically are your best tenant in a commercial building. And a lot of things have changed over the last three years in lending around commercial uh, businesses and, and loans. Uh, for instance, probably three years ago, you would have had to have a 35% deposit to buy a commercial building, right? So that's quite a hefty deposit. So if you're buying for a mill, you take in costs, it's probably about 400 grand you've got to come up with. Now, usually commercial loans are priced on risk as well. So when you're looking at a general home loan, around about, you know, 2 something fixed and 2.5 variable. Generally, commercial loans always used to be about 2% higher to 3% higher. So it was, so again, it made sense for business owners to lease their premises because they didn't have a big chunk of capital to put into it. And also when you look at the interest rates, they were generally over 10 or 15 year terms as well. So it made sense mm -hmm. to lease because, you know, you might be able to control a million dollar space 
pay 60 grand worth of uh, lease for rent per annum, and it was actually a better option than, than buying the property. However, in the last in the last 18 months, what you're finding is those terms of 10 to 15 years have stretched out to 30-year terms, and the interest rates have come down at least to three, if not a two in front of the interest rate, which is huge. So all of a sudden, you could buy something for a million bucks. Now you only need, let's say, a 25% deposit, so 250 grand. So you're not utilizing all of your capital. And then now you might be paying, like even at 2.9%, you might be paying about 24000 a year in interest. Mm. You go, now look at the profitability difference there from that lease. So it's a relevant investment. So as a business owner, I, I like relevant investing. I, I, you know, I, I just think it makes sense. You're a business owner, you've got a home for your business and it, it works for your business. But now the numbers are in your favour. So particularly what we've been hit with COVID, you know, commercial properties, you know, there, there's decent buys out there at the moment and you can negotiate. Mm. So this is the time to get in, maybe lock in a rate and really secure that business home that then becomes an asset. Whether you do it through super or you do it as an investment, individual circumstances, depends on that. But this is something really to consider in the next three to six months. If you're in that position, you can do it. It's time that you bring this up. We've got more clients than ever at the moment that are buying commercial property. So- you know, structuring a, a unit trust or company and all this separate stuff to buy their own commercial property and lease it back to their trading business. Yes. Um, and then on top of that as well, like what, what people are able to do with their self-managed super fund of, you know, at an arm's length deal, your self-managed super fund can own the premises that you operate your business out of. Correct. And your rent is going towards your retirement. Um, so absolutely fantastic strategies. And yeah, timely to bring that up, Marty, because I think it's an awesome strategy. Strategy is a key word there, and I, I don't want to poo-poo that because I think it's a brilliant idea, but one of the things um, where I have seen that people just need to understand what their strategy is mm, and yes. be across what can happen if that strategy changes. And um, I'll speak from personal experience here. So we, we've got a commercial property, um, which is an office, um, which is a pretty good property, but we outgrew that within four or five years. So based on our business plan and where we were going, probably shouldn't have bought that place um, because now- um, during COVID, we're stuck without a tenant. We're trying to get it leased. We're not the tenant anymore. And now that I think about it, we were never going to be the tenant for long. So just understand that once, if you're buying it for that reason, um, there might be a day if you've got big plans for your business where you're not the tenant and you'll be out there as a normal investor trying to rent it out with everyone else. So Good advice. Yeah. It, you know, for some people, it works really well. Um, but if you're trying to grow a bigger business you just need to understand that so yeah have your strategy and i've seen people now buy the factory next to them and other people that like you say haven't uh yeah haven't been able to tenant that property so again nick makes a great point always look at the strategy we'd love to hear from you send us an email hello at the numbers game podcast.com.au we are at that time of the podcast where we are losing it. We love losing it because we learn so much about it and then we win. And that's what it's all about ultimately. But in between, there's great strategy and great strategy in finance means you need to have a financial planner because again, takes all the emotion out of your investment journey when you've got a clear plan you can execute. But Nick, over to you. How are we losing it in financial planning? Have you got a story here of someone that... Uh, that maybe hasn't got the right advice and has come out unstuck. Thanks, Marty. Uh, I have a story, but it's not about an individual or a couple. It's about a few people. Um, and this is just something that we've seen in the last 18 months since since COVID came around. And it really ties into 
not understanding your strategy and your long-term plan, um, making emotional decisions, not not looking at things objectively. So it's no secret that the share market took a took a dive um, in around March 2020. It took a significant dive. Uh, depending on your super fund, you could have been anywhere from 20 to 40% down, depending on how aggressive you were invested. So one of the things that, that we were finding in our business around June, July, um, and even later in, in 2020, is pe- people were ringing and we, were, we had new people going referred to us um, looking for advice. And what had triggered that is obviously COVID and they're super dropping. And I thought, geez, I better see someone about this. What two or three people had done prior to seeing us though was move their share portfolios in their super fund, whether it were, well, most were with an industry fund, uh, completely into cash. So they saw their super drop by 30%, went, shit, I better fix that, moved it to cash because I can't afford to lose any more money. Um, the only, you know, probably rang their industry fund. It's difficult to get advice at an industry fund. They would just go, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, what would you like to do? We'd like to move to cash. Okay, no worries, we'll get that done. These days you can even do it online with a lot of industry funds. Um came to us or a few people come to us end of 2020 want to know how to invest their money we look at their funds and we say why are you all in cash well i moved it when everything dropped well you realize everything has now come back and you've Mm. crystallized that 30 percent drop and you've missed out on the up um so really tragic when you think about it because what that does to someone's retirement particularly the couple of people i'm thinking of who are in there 50s getting close to retirement which is why they made made that emotional decision to move to cash young people didn't because they didn't even know what was going on with their super so they just let it all they just let let it all ride so if those people had to come to us um we would have questioned the move to cash you know and when i say question it when they first came to an advisor you would have a plan you would um you, you would talk to a client about this stuff happening. The market's going to be volatile. We could have a, a black swan event like a GFC or a COVID. Um, and if that happens, that's okay because this is what your long-term strategy is and your account is set up in a way that that's not going to impact your retirement. So just a really, um, really great example of not having an advisor, not having someone to advise you without an emotional attachment to the money and not having a strategy that was going to deal with an event like COVID mm. or an unforeseen circumstance. Yeah, we, and mm. just it's just, if, if, if anything, it's just sad when you yeah. say that. And Big time. what really frustrates me, and you know, not, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but you, know, it, you, you look at industry funds and industry funds talk about you know, protecting the individual. Now, you can get advice in an industry fund. It's, it's, not, it's not easy to do, but- at what stage does a 55-year-old ring in when the market's dropped by 30% and industry funds are very confident on their, um, on their assets or their investments? At what stage is the question not asked, have you spoken to an advisor about the move you're about to make? So you're now making, uh, you're now guessing that the market is going to continue to drop um, and you have no, um, no experience in financial markets, but it's just a matter of someone on the other end of the phone who's yeah, maybe may not even be in the country, just making the shift and moving them to cash. And it's just really sad and there's nothing you can do once it's done. So, you know, it's, at least understand what 
an advisor can do for you, which I know we're going to talk about. Um, but understand what an advisor can do for you before you make big decisions yeah, like that. You're right, Nick. And strategy eats emotion for breakfast. But it's just most people are so emotive around their financial circumstances and reactive. So to have that clear blueprint and have someone set that out for you as a plan and then to execute, it's it takes away all the stress. At least you know where you're going. But if you're making emotional decisions based on what's happening in the market, you're always going to come unstuck, I think, from from what I've seen over time. You can't blame people either. No, if if no, you don't know any better, um, you're going to go defensive because if you're in your 50s, it's probably a lot of money um, in, in your super and organically you're going to move defensive. Um, it's just not it's just not having that um, you know that support and that um, that knowledge from someone who knows the markets are probably going to come back up as long as your initial strategy was correct. And it's all about building awareness around it like we're doing here because I know even in my generation, I think we've mentioned the Sullivans in previous episode. That's how far we go back. But um, the man is seems to be the provider back then. There's this old thing where, you know, we, we have to provide for our family and we've got to make sure we're making the financial decisions and everything. It comes unstuck. What I love about the generations beyond ours is that, you know, men and women are coming in and setting out a plan for the future. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And we talk about the cost of planning, which is not a big cost when you compare it to the cost of making bad financial decisions. I mean, just to have that set up and people taking responsibility to get advice and to get support and to make that financial future brighter. I think that to be, I'm loving seeing that. And I think, you know, we need to keep building awareness, encouraging because the cost of getting it wrong is absolutely absolutely decimates people like like yep. Nick was saying if people go to cash and have no advice around it because they're looking to save a grand of not paying a plan it just doesn't doesn't resonate with me so we can really make a difference here and I suppose you'd see that as well Justin and Jace with people getting advice yeah definitely I think um there's another client story Nick around clients that that almost were going to lose out big time from a losing it point of view. Yeah. Um, do you want to quickly touch on that? Yeah, and th- this was actually a tax, tax. Yeah. Tax um, well. So I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, the incentive to get money into your super, uh, selling your owner occupied property. So we had a client that come to us. I'm going to say it was six months after their property settled. So you've got 90 days post property settlement to get your money into super and utilise that benefit if that's what you want to do. The contribution to super. The downsize of contribution. Uh, these people had settled six months ago. So they had, I'm going to say it was around half a million sitting in a bank account. They'd used some money to go into a, a retirement village and had chewed up some money with that deposit. So they had a half a million dollars sitting in a bank account, came to us to invest that money. First thing we said was that, why is that in a bank account? That should be in the super environment. Now, there's only certain a certain number of ways you can get that amount of money into super. Um, for this couple, the only way they could have done that was the downsizer contribution. However, you've got 90 days post-settlement to get that money in. They'd missed that date by three months. Um, we managed to get that turnaround. The only reason we got that turnaround is because of COVID. So we wrote to the ATO, um, expressed COVID, client hadn't been able to get to see an advisor, um, and the ATO were being very kind through COVID, as you know, so they turned it around. They let us get that money into super. So for that client, that means now they can move that into pension phase and they can draw out a tax-free income um, until the money runs out. Any capital gains they make and sell down on those assets in that fund are tax-free as well. 
they wouldn't have had the ability to do that if they couldn't get in the super. So again, I, I know I spoke it's about massive. a few, it's the awareness. It's the awareness of understanding, like these are big decisions selling your house. And massive. Just, you know, I think the problem is people, and it is changing, but there's a fear um, around financial advisors um, because there's been some bad stories and, you know, um, the government is doing a lot to turn that around with um, the new rules and regs that, that are around. But speak to people that you know. So speak to people that have an advisor. Try and find a trusted advisor through someone else. Don't go it alone. Speak to your accountant. Um, if you, you know, most people have been with their accountant for a long time. So speak to your accountant about speaking to someone who, who's trusted in, in their network. Speak to your friends. Try and find someone who's dealt with the, with the advisor before. And even though selling your own or occupied home might just feel like a normal path in life, well, most people are going to come into a million dollars. So understand just what else needs to happen in line with that. Um, and again, these people had no idea about the downsides of contribution and they had no idea around taking money from a pension rather than having an investment account outside of super. So ask questions. Yeah, Nick, and I was going to ask you, like life's not always fair as we know, and we try and build assets and, you know, make best use of our money, but things can happen in life. And a lot of the times we're not always protecting ourselves against those events. And I just want to throw to you, what can we do? Like if we have got debt and we are building assets and there are a plan, how do do we protect ourselves? If something goes wrong with the income earner within the family, what are things we should be considering and questions we should be asking ourselves um, to to be inspired to talk to a planner? Because that's a really important component that gets missed as well. Well, it's a good question, Marty. And a lot of what you just mentioned there, for us, it's about bringing that up because people don't think about it or they don't understand or they – if they don't understand or they don't want to sit down and think about a situation, well, what if we lose one of the people um, that's an income producer in the property, uh, in the family, whether it's for short term or long term, you know, and not, not to be morbid here, but these are the questions that we ask people. So a true financial plan, whilst it should talk about your goals, it should also have defensive measures in there as well. And, you know, most people will think, oh, well, that's insurance. Yes, it's insurance, and you should have some level of insurance um, based on um, based on your budget. You know, in, insurance has to be part of the overall strategy. It's not about having all of this insurance and you've got no money to do everything else. Because if that's the case, then when the premium comes through next year, you're going to cancel it. So, insurance is the first one, and insurance really needs to to fit into your cash flow, and it needs to be a long term plan. And it, in my opinion, depending on the client, but it needs to be something that is probably reducing over the years as you go through life and as you increase your net wealth, as long as you're doing the right things with your money. So from my point of view, the financial plan should have insurance, but it should work on getting away from insurance and actually improving your net wealth. But the other thing is have a have have defensive measures in there outside of insurance. So, okay, well, if we've got... Um, a house and we've got an investment property, what happens if the rate goes up? Let's stress test mm. the repayments. And if the repayments go up and you want to buy an investment property, let's put the rates in at five and see if that still works in the cash flow. The other things we work on is having a safety net, whether it's an investment vehicle um, or it's just a, a cash, um, it's just a cash account. It, it, again, it depends on the individuals. It can be anywhere from three months to 12 months worth of your household living expenses. And we talk about this with business as well. How long could your business run without revenue? So, you know, we, as much as we've got an investment strategy, defense is important as well because 
not to bring up um, stuff from from past episodes, but you don't want to be forced to sell at the wrong time. So, you know, I spoke about the commercial property um, for myself, the office. It's not the time to sell it at the moment. So I don't want to be in a position where I've I've got to sell it um, because it's not tenanted for a month or two. Like what what is your defensive measure based on all your repayments that are going out for investments? What if it's not tenanted? What if your yeah. wife's not working or you're not working? What does that look like? And it it depends on the individual. Um, but if it, you if you have someone like let's say something happens and it's and it is tragic, not to be morbid about like we said, there's enough stress with that. Mm. So to actually mm. be looked after financially and know you're okay, it I mean as horrific as the circumstances might be there's a way forward and it doesn't always have to be that extreme. It can be, you know, people mm. can't work for a certain amount of time as well. But I love what you said about as the asset position increases, the defensive plan insurances decreases. To me, that feels nimble, that feels relevant as opposed to saying, yeah, you just need insurance because you need insurance. I love that part of the the strategy of what you've, what you've mapped well, out there. The thing we say to our clients is insurance shouldn't be the same as winning the lottery. Insurance is there, and in the past, that's how a lot of advisors have sold it. If you if you manage to get a payout on your insurance, happy days, and you know you had more money than you ever thought you would have had. We're a little bit different, mainly because of the cost around it. Um, we say so you just want to make sure that you protect your assets, and if someone passes away, that the remaining party, all the good work isn't undone. That you know that you've been striving towards and. You know, we're obviously insurance advocates because we're on the other side. We see claims. We deal with claims week to week and we know the impact it has. Um, and again, not to be morbid, but when a wife loses a husband or vice versa, when you're trying to deal with the emotional side of things, the money the money thing just or the money side just becomes completely irrelevant to you. Yeah. So I'm not saying it doesn't affect you, but you, you just have not got the headspace to no. think about it. And that's when things unwind really quickly. So when you can release that stress from people, it's just huge. And again, we're advocates because we see what it does come claim time. Um, people are just so thankful when they get a payout because they're like, I've got so much going on here personally. You know, I've lost a, a loved one or I'm dealing with a significant illness. I don't want to be worrying about money. Yeah. That's the last thing I want to worry about. So, yeah, the for, from our point, it's probably the best part of our job, really, as much as it is a morbid discussion getting people insurance and as much as you don't want to be processing claims because that means something you know not so nice has happened, when that money comes through, it's probably where you get the best impact. In, in They're the, the most, most heartfelt impact. client oh. calls. Most heartfelt client calls that it, you get is, is supporting people in that situation. It changes lives. Yeah. And there's no other way to explain it. It completely changes lives. Well, so. even to even like having the strategy, having kids set up, you know, on, on if something happens, just mm. to know that people are okay and they're going to be okay. I mean, some of the calls are just extraordinary yeah. off the back of and that. It is, as you said, strategy and plan, but it's actually having someone to ask you those hard questions I remember the first time doing our financial plan with you, Nick, when Case and I sat down and it was, what happens if one of you dies? Like, how do you want the other person to be? Like, what do you want left for them? How's it going to work? And having never been in a position to actually think of that before, it's it's quite confronting. Very confronting, mm. Very particularly confronting. for young people who are fit, fit and vibrant. I mean, once you get to 48, you start to think about these <laughs> things a, a little bit more when your hip's a bit sore and things are going on. What's that? What's that? That's the end. So it's, uh, and you can't get out of a chair. You can't get out of a chair. That's, that's why I'm always podcasting. But it's, uh, but it's yeah, it's, re it's really important to, yeah. to be able to, 
talk about these things, but people to feel safe in a safe environment to talk about. So we talk about trusted advisor mm. and that's for a reason, to have a trusted professional that's actually in your corner working with you um, is is really, to me, is a non-negotiable in many ways. Yeah, so don't lose it. Have a plan, have a strategy, talk to someone. So we've kind of dived into a little bit of what it's like and what are the benefits of having a financial advisor. And the, the big kind of chunk of this episode was to further discuss that and dig a bit deeper and probably throw a million questions at Nick, uh, thanks to Marty and I. So having a financial advisor, you said one of the big things was goal setting and and tell us the questions that you actually ask people because this blew my mind that it wasn't about where to invest the money and, you know, how much growth I'm going to get. Talk to me about the questions. Um, yeah, so it's holistic advice and we talk about financial advice, but it's about, you know, what is, what is happiness and happiness isn't about money in the bank. You know, ha- happiness is very different as we all know. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank. So, you know, the, the first thing that we start with is what are your goals? And mm-hmm. when we're talking about goals, I'm not talking about money or how much money you've got in the bank. It's, it's, it's a personal thing because the the financial side is generally going to get you in a position to achieve those personal goals. So we'll look at short, medium, long term. So short term being the next one to two years, what are the key things you want to tick off? That could be anything. Um, it could be, okay, we need a new car. Uh, it could be, uh, we want to go on a holiday because we haven't been on a holiday for 18 months. Um, could be a new house. There can be financial things in there. Uh, it can be things as silly as I make a donation to save for the kids for the next uh, um, for two thousand dollars a year, and I want to be in a position to do that for the next five years. Um, I really like to collect memorabilia, and I like to buy uh, a new piece every three months. I don't want that to stop because that's what I get joy out of. So these are your, the goals, or this is how deep we're going into goals, not just really about I want to retire at age fifty-five. Yeah. Um, then we'll talk about medium-term goals, and some examples will be. Uh, educating children is a big one. So, you know, getting ready for private school, you may or may not send your child to private school, but you might want the ability to do that and you don't want money to be what's making that decision Mm -hmm. for you. Um, It could be an investment property. Um, It could be bringing your parents into the country who are in another country. Um, Things like this might be medium, which is sort of anywhere from two to five years. And then we go into long-term goals. And the obvious one there is retirement. Um, it could be being in a position to help your kids get into a property. Um, it could be relocating to the Sunshine Coast, as um, as Marty's ha- has done. And so half, half of Melbourne currently yeah. looking to do that at the moment. Yeah. So again, it's taking away from the money aspect and more looking at what do you actually want in life, and then okay, well let's work that out, and then let's work on the vehicles that are going to drive it to put you in a position to be able to achieve that. And then we talk about the investment side. Because I think you said you touched on taking the emotion out of it. So as individuals without a plan and without a strategy, most of the day-to-day decision-making around money is very emotional. But whereas for you, Nick, and and your team, you don't have to make emotional decisions with your client's money. You're making the decision based on their goals and plans. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, that's mainly around investment and, you know, getting, getting the investment right to to fit in with those goals and make not making emotional decisions based on what's happening in life or what's happening in the investment markets uh, and just reminding people of what that original plan was and mm. sometimes the plan changes it actually always changes um, but you just realign the goals and you realign just realign the strategy but yeah from the investment side it's managing people's money 
you know, from an objective point of view mm-hmm. and looking at what the plan was for that money and not what's necessarily happening at the moment. And I think what you bring up there is the clients are emotional about their goals, which is great. All you're doing is putting logical strategy around that so they can feel all those great emotions. And I think that's wonderful that the clients can go on, live the life they want, have the holidays they want, but it's mapped out and they've got comfort. It's it's a stress relief to know that's taken care of. And that can always be, can that be adjusted? The plan can always be adjusted always. depending on circumstance. Yeah, well, yeah we have a minimum, um, we suggest, minimum clients have an annual review um some clients if they're closer to retirement and they're needing to make more decisions or they're spending their super it might be once every six months um but we say look we want to speak with you every 12 months and if you don't want to speak to us every 12 months that's fine just tell us not much has changed but if something changes in the next three or four months and you need help come into the office let's have a chat about it so it consistently changes marty um to, to be honest, it just depends on where, what stage people are at in their life. And if they're in their early 30s, there's going to be a lot of changes, as we all know, um, between, you know, age 30 and retirement. So it's, uh, yeah, the goalposts are always moving and we just we just adjust as we need. Nick, what's the advice that's out there in the market that sort of gets you back up, that annoys you a little bit? Is there anything out there where you go, geez, that's just um, not quite... Oh. What it should be, or mis- not misleading, but sort of taking people off a track that. Um, yeah, look, I think. Um, oh, look, there's a few things, and I could go on for ages. But what's what's really frustrated me post the Royal Commission is just the the bashing of advisors, basically, for lack of a better um, for lack of a better phrase. But um, there are really good advisors out there, and that's why I said earlier: speak to your centers, your circles of influence, speak to your personal connections. Um, understand who's used advisors before because there's some really good advisors out there and I think um, during the Royal Commission everyone was put you know everyone was put in a in a bucket of being um, of not great advisors or you know take taking people for a ride but the industry has come a long long way since then so that's that's the first thing don't don't assume that an advisor is just someone that looks after your money and there's a there's a big chance they're going to lose it which I think is what a lot of people think um, so that's the first thing. The other thing is um, the advertising that comes from industry funds, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to bash industry funds, but just the way the assumption that they're the only solution out there, and industry funds are a good solution. I'm not saying they're not, um, but they're really the only groups that advertise mm-hmm. that they're a good solution. So I think it's um, you know just again understand what all of your options are and don't think an industry fund is always the best option for you because in a lot of circumstances it's not, particularly when it comes to getting advice that's um, that's based on your situation, which we spoke about in losing it. Well, and the, the, the advertising budget comes from somewhere too, though your fees that you're paying. I wasn't going to bring that up, but sorry, who's paying for that? Yeah. So the the only way they generate revenue um, outside of their their investments, which go back to their groups, but is charging fees um, to their um, to to the people that are in the fund. So, yeah, the advertising budget from industry funds to say that they're the cheapest is you know that's questionable. So, um, and they're not always the cheapest. That's just a fact. So I'm not going to um, pick out any different um, funds, but they're not always the the cheapest. And there's some some stats coming out now um, around which ones are underperforming and, and stay tuned. You'll start to see that in the media and not just industry funds, retail funds as well, but you'd be surprised how many retail uh, in- industry funds are in that group of underperforming um, super funds. Mm. And then the last one is just um, just people, you know, like the Barefoot Investor, for example, and 
I love that book. So I'll, I'll just say I love that book. And I think what he's doing, you know, bringing education into schools, I think everything he does is brilliant. Um, but what I don't like about that book is it, it bashes certain mm. um, professions, you know, mortgage broking and financial planning. And we've got so many clients that really appreciate what we do. So to, to see um, a book, you know, just assume that, every, that you shouldn't go to a financial planner because there's a better way to do it, it's just completely incorrect. Mm. Um, I think one, on my side, and it's probably what you're about to say, sorry to cut in. Yeah. I see clients come in at tax time and I can see their bank accounts for interest earned, so I can see the fire extinguisher and whatever, all those accounts set up. But then when I talk to them about the implementation of what they learned in the book, and apart from setting up the accounts and throwing a few dollars in there, what's the next step in their financial planning journey? Nobody's implemented anything. Like, like nobody's actually made a a solid change to their investment structure or their super fund or putting away anything extra, they're like, oh, yeah, I read the book and I set up a couple of ING accounts and, and then yep. moved on with life because life got busy. Constantly. That's what happen every, happens every time. We have people come in and they talk about the barefoot investor and we ask what changes they've made and they've set the accounts up and that's as far as it went because it's not easy and for a lot of people it's not fun. So there's a lot of people that will read the barefoot investor and will do everything he does and they'll research and they'll understand what their retirement needs to look like and they'll be okay. But that's not that's that's five percent of the population percentage. at best. So what what we do is it's accountability. So it's you know, if this is what you want to do, we will implement, we will make you accountable, you'll come back every year, we'll change the plan um, based on based on the changes that have happened in your life. We'll be able to predict what retirement is going to look like, understand mm. how much you can take out of your super during retirement. This is all stuff that the book doesn't do. Mm. Um, and this is all stuff that people really can't do on their own. I'm sure they could if they sat down for you know, a day uh, on a weekend and went through all the calculators and tried to work it out. But even then, they don't have confidence to do it. So they still won't make changes because they won't know if they're doing the right thing. So you know, the, the misconception that um, advisors expensive um and the misconception that advisors are there to take your money um i think it's it's just putting everyone in one bucket and it's just, it's just not the case yeah i think um from our side as well asking the question to our clients or the broader accounting industry actually taking an interest and a care into asking questions to their clients about have you considered putting some extra money into super what that does for your tax but then also are they actively engaged with an advisor who is helping them on this journey? Because as we touched on, the the insurance is a one thing. I mean, it's a, it's a big, broad topic that I hope we'll probably cover in the next couple of episodes of what the difference is and what they do. Clients don't understand where their management fees go and what they're actually paying. They see their super fund balance go up, but they don't really see the statement that says it went up 10, but then backwards three grand because management fees came out. And where are those management fees going and, and how was it calculated? So I think education and having an understanding of what is going on in your super fund and having a financial advisor, you don't have to know too much. You don't have to care necessarily, but put it in the hands of someone who's got your back and looking out for you, I think is, is a really powerful thing to do. Yeah. And I also think you hit on a really important point, have a team of professionals around you. So mm. they're, they're actually strategizing, you know, with, with each other for you. I said, there's, there's nothing, there isn't anything more powerful than that. So I go, get the right professionals in your corner. And if they're collaborating together, even better because you're all on the same page. So I think that's really wise, wise counsel. I think as a, as, as a consumer too, like I think one of the things that you should do is if you've got a really good team around you, share it amongst your friends. Because Definitely. 
I can guarantee you, if you've got friends that are, that are asking questions or that need help. So if you've got a trusted accountant or broker or advisor or uh, asset finance person or solicitor, whatever it is, and you're really comfortable with what they've done for you, tell your friends about them because your friends will be on their own journey and you don't need to know about what's happening with your friends. But the fact that you can say, look, these people have really looked after me. I trust them. Um, that's the biggest thing, trust. Mm-hmm. And they'll talk about the circles of um, influence and, and understanding who's in that. So, you know, don't don't be, don't be afraid to tell your friends about it because they'll be the same age as you generally. They'll be going through the same things you are. Um, so, yeah, spread the word if you've got someone you trust. Marty, you noted a shift as well. I don't know if you've got your show notes there that you might want to share with us. What have you seen in relation to the ratio of male to female coming for advice now? And then what, what's been exciting you about that shift? Oh, I, I think I spoke about it briefly earlier. As I just think that you've got couples now coming for advice that usually wouldn't. And they're coming as as you know as a collaboration. Instead of one being the driver, mm. they're actually coming up with a family plan or a couple plan. And I think that's been a really good shift. Whereas before it would be, you know, there'd be there'd be one party, and particularly my age, it was probably the male running it, mm-hmm. or it was the female running it, and you know they were at loggerheads. Whereas now I'm seeing, yeah, families coming together, and even beyond that, you know, the extended families coming together. So plans upon plans. Yep. So that's what really excites me. But what what I really like, I love listening to you guys talk because. I'm still hearing the financial planners from 20 years ago in my head, mm. and that was all about positioning you into product. Mm. It's mm. a it's a totally different level of professionalism now, which I which I love because I'm sitting here going, yeah, I would want you guys on my team. Whereas before, you'd always have to question and double check the product because you know you're being sort of positioned into a corner. Mm. So that's changed as well. The quality of intention. In, in client support and advice has just gone to a whole different dynamic level. Like I look at yourself, Jason, you're you're a consultancy firm. You're a strategist. Mm. I mean, it's not just number crunching anymore. Well, it's changed. Yeah, and the biggest demonstration of that is all the banks have now moved and sold their advice businesses because post-Royal Commission, there's a realisation that you can't be a product provider Correct. and give mm. objective advice. Um, because you've got to sell one product. So as advisors now, we've got you know uh, an APL, which is an approved product, product list, which includes most products on the market as long as our licensee approves of them um, from a compliance point of view. So you know, I, I, that's, that's the best sign for me that there is a shift. And to be an advisor, you can't be working at a bank selling a, selling a CBA product. Um, how can you give objective advice when you've only got access to, to one product? or maybe two products within that bank. So, you know, there's definitely a shift. Um, we're seeing it and, um, yeah, I'm, I hope it continues, but I hope it continues, um, you know, with some sort of um, relevance as in I hope the financial advisors stay relevant and people really understand where the value is. Well, you're seeing like 24-year-olds, you know, the train drivers earn 100 grand that mm. are setting up their financial future. I mean, I've talked about it before. The, the 20s demographic, it's, you know, everyone wants everything yesterday in it, I know, but it's it's also exciting because they're really mapping out their goals in a much more accelerated manner than we ever did. And in that, there's great, you know, there's great learnings to take from that. So, but they do need guidance as well. They can't just do it all themselves, but to have that support, 
they can get to their goals much quicker. And I just, that's why I get excited because I see, you know, young people, dynamic people really taking responsibility for who they're going to be when they're 45. Yeah, and I think that's just tremendous. That that's and whether that's not taught at school or is taught, I don't know anymore because I'm too far away from it. But I go, there's certainly there's certainly a shift of intention with young people coming through, young couples coming through that are really driving towards having the best, you know, life and financial life linked into that. That is a big shift to what, you know, we had with saying work forty years, get to retirement. And slowly tiptoe into the grave. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing as well. If you are, if you think it's beyond you now, if you think that at 45, 50, 55, oh, well, my time's done now. I think what we've seen, especially some of the stories you've shared around the the downsize of strategies and different things, even if you are 55 and you're going, well, I've left it too late, I've got bugger all in super, 55 to 65 or now 67, depending on when you can retire, or even 60 to 67, there is still a huge amount of strategies you can pull off to mm. give yourself the best retirement possible. And we're seeing it now with like carry forward um, concessional contributions where huge. this year we've got clients that are able to stick $75,000 each into super. We had a couple that are I think late 50s, early 60s. I'm not going to say who they are because if I got the age wrong, I'll be shot. Um, called them up a couple of days ago. I said, look, you've had a bumper year in business. You've, you've had a cracker. You can bring forward 75 each, you and your wife. They just got $150,000 into their super funds between the husband and wife, tax deductible. So they've just saved something like 60 grand off their tax bill. What a win because mm -hmm. they've got an advisor and a, and a bunch of people around them that give a shit. Yeah. It's and a no-brainer. Look, there's, there, there's another example. This is also one of your clients. We talked about this um, yesterday. You know, they wanted to use up that cap, so they wanted to use that seventy five. So they'd put twenty thousand in, so they could over the last three years, so they could do fifty five thousand. Mm. That cap is actually going to continue on for a couple of more years, up to a maximum of five years. So I rang Jason. I said, "This is what the client's looking to do." He said, "Don't do it." He said, "This year the tax issue is not bad. Next year there's a big one. Mm. So let's save that twenty five from this year to next year and get the bigger tax deduction." So. It's simple for us, um, but it's just understanding that these options are available. So, yeah, good story. Incredible value there, guys. I know I got a lot out of that uh, in the wrap-up. Nick, what's your key takeaway for people when it comes to financial advisors? Uh, don't listen to the noise. Um, do your own research on financial planners and find someone within a trusted network who's had a good experience and make your own decision. Yeah, to me, it's financial. Having a good financial advisor is not uh, on a need to have basis. It's a must have. I, I just think you need good people on your team to have a brighter financial future. And that's what I take out of that. For me, guys, it's stop missing out on the opportunities by not having someone in your corner because for years you've probably missed out, but there's no time like the present. So if you don't have someone, get started now and do your research. You've been listening to the Numbers Game podcast. I'm sure you would have taken a lot out of that. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you don't like. We don't mind. We'll <laughs> see you next time. Bye for now. Peace. Game over. <laughs>